The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Chinese telecom giant ZTE is in big trouble with the United States government. Will this push China to finally try to declare independence in semiconductors? And what should we make of Beijing's new unemployment measure? Will China start to use this instead of growth targets to guide economic development? I'm your host, Pete Sweeney, and I'm sitting here in Hong Kong chatting with fellow columnists Robin Mock and Christopher Bador. We'll start with Robin. Robin, ZTE just got in a lot of trouble. Can you tell us how much trouble they're in and why? Hi, Pete. Sure. So ZTE is a huge uh, telecoms equipment maker in China. So they were in a lot of trouble last year um, because of sanctions violations. So at that time, they pleaded a deal with the U.S. uh, Commerce Department. um, These are sanctions with North Korea, Iran? Correct. Yes. Um, And so uh, earlier this week, uh, the U.S. Commerce Department has said that they violated terms of last year's deal and have basically cut off ZTE from American technology and software for seven years. So this is potentially very devastating for the company because, you know, most of their um, their products will have some sort of U.S. Uh, component part or software. So they make phones. So those phones will be running on Qualcomm chipsets. Um, using Android uh, software. Um, Their telecoms equipment will have optical gear um, from lots of U.S. companies as well. So this is potentially, um, you know, crippling for for the company. I mean, it's a really good example of how complicated this trade war is proving to be, right? I mean, the the import-export statistics, you know, just kind of log a phone or something showing that it left China and went to the States and everything was Chinese. But in fact, you know, these companies are using a lot of each other's stuff. And ZTE is kind of on, you know, (laughs) really getting hurt by by not being able to buy American stuff. Yeah. So the global supply chain issue, I mean, it really just shows just how difficult it is to disconnect um, from the supply chain and just, you know, exclude certain countries for example. So well, let me ask you. I mean, so that this has provoked some in the Chinese state media to say, well, this is what we get for depending on imports. You know, what we need to do is have our own semiconductor industry so we can't be embargoed this way again. Um, is that something American manufacturers should worry about? No, I mean, China has been saying this for decades um, now. So they've always had a national uh, policy and ambition to be Uh, to build up their own semiconductor industry so they don't have to rely on exports. Um, But this is, you know, a problem that can't just solve just by throwing more money at it. Now, China has tried to go out and acquire companies. So Tsinghua Uni Group tried to buy, you know, Micron, for example, but that's quite difficult because, you Seems know... Seems like it's going to be getting more difficult. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So now money. China is, besides their, you know, they're investing a lot of money in, you know, R&D. They're trying to poach talent from Taiwan, for example. So it, it will take a lot of time um, before China can be fully self-sufficient. Right. So, I mean, apart from ZTE, which apparently made some some fairly big mistakes, or at least allegedly did, and including lying to American regulators about what they were doing... Um, do you expect this to trickle over to hit other Chinese companies? Is anybody else going to be be showing up in the headlines, similar well, headlines soon? Well, separately, uh, ZTE's much larger rival, Huawei, um, is sort of, you know, coming under a lot of pressure and scrutiny from the United States. 
So this company has been, um, you know, under a congressional investigation since 2012. Um, you know, its, its founder used to be in the PLA, so its ties to the Chinese army, for example, has been scrutinized and criticized and poured over quite a bit. So now the U.S. is moving to effectively bar um, the government and maybe some of the major carriers from buying components um, from Huawei and ZTE. So um, earlier this week as well, Huawei, you know, they've basically, it seems like they've just given up the fight and, you know, they fired all their DC staff, they cut all their lobbying expenses. So it looks like they are retreating from U.S. Well, it sounds like there's going to be plenty of pain to go around, including for American suppliers. Uh, Robin, thanks so much. And we're back with Christopher Bedore, our China columnist. Welcome on the show, Chris. Uh, so we just had China print its GDP data, industrial activity, um, housing investment, so on and so forth. Uh, but we had a number, another number published. We did. Can you tell us a little bit about this new unemployment statistic and, and why we should be excited about it? Well, the National Bureau of Statistics is certainly excited about it. So hopefully they're hoping that we should be, too. Um, they're rolling out this new survey-based method of counting unemployment. Um, and the importance here really lies in just the flaws of the old system. So how they did it in the past was they had this registration-based system. What that meant was if you're living in an urban area, you lose your job. You're supposed to go down to the labor, local labor department and you tell them, I'm unemployed. And this was kind of a legacy of the planned economy because they were supposed to reassign you then to another job. Nowadays, really the reason that you would do it is to collect unemployment benefits. So what this meant was that they were excluding about 280 million migrant workers who cannot go to the local labor department because you're not supposed to do it outside your hometown. Excludes people who, for example, just don't think that there's enough benefits on offer and so forth. So they really did need to switch to this new system. Yeah, I mean, and it was famously ridiculed. I mean, it, they had these massive uh, economic corrections laying off state-owned industry workers under reform, and then you had the global financial crisis, and this number stayed flat as a as a laser. For it essentially <laughs> it's has not budged. Amazingly, yeah. nothing has happened to this stat. All right. Well, I mean, so what what is the problem they're worried about? I mean, some people have said, like, uh, you know, China has, has these problems, be, economic problems with bad debt and wasted investment, industrial overcapacity because its officials just care about hitting GDP growth targets. Um, you seem to think that, like, maybe this a better unemployment target would be would allow China to, like, kind of focus on, on that and, and not so much on throwing up, you know, roads to nowhere and, and whatnot to meet statistical yeah. goals. So I think that there's really two audiences here that matter. And the first is officials, and the second is everybody but the officials. So, I mean, actually, it's worth saying that everybody but officials. So that includes business types, that includes investors and so forth. They are probably always going to look at this number with suspicion. It just, even the new this figure, new even the new figure, it's, mm -hmm. it's really untested. We kind of got to go through a downturn to really see how it holds up. How far there's, back does it go? We have, like, uh, they a started series. releasing it around 2014, but very irregularly. Okay. So we have some data. It doesn't seem to vary. I mean, it definitely varies a lot more than the old kind, which didn't I mean, vary I took a all. brief glass of it. It still looks pretty flat. Yes, it's still, it still has not varied. Mm. For example, it didn't go down much in late 2015, early 2016, when there clearly was an economic slowdown. 
So it remains to be seen what happens on that front. They're always going to be looking for proxies. For officials, that's almost a more interesting question, because if they start to trust these numbers, the idea, the hope is that they've been kind of toying with a bunch of different job-related metrics, so unemployment, um, urban job creation, a few other ones. The, the idea or the hope is that they're doing that because eventually they're going to move away from the growth target, and they're going to say, okay, we're just going to focus on maintaining full employment, something like what the Fed does in the United States. And so we're not going to stimulate the economy every single time it goes down. We're going to watch the employment figures and judge on that. Right, but I got, I got a maybe you can help. I've got a slight problem with that. I mean, the whole point of the stimulus, the way that they did it after the the global financial crisis was, you know, one of the quickest ways to maintain employment is, you know, stimulus spending on infrastructure, right? Like if you're going to put down a highway, a rail railroad, you know, structural change takes a while, but if you want to, you know, juice the system immediately. You build infrastructure, and that creates jobs. So, I mean, if people are, if these guys are looking at, like, well, you have to create jobs, I mean, it's still going to be easier for them to create jobs quickly by by stimulating, right, by over-investing in, in capacity and whatnot. I, I, I don't, I, does, does, is there, am I missing something? I think that's right, except that you could imagine a scenario where, for instance, the economy is slowing because services are now a bigger share of the economy. Mm. Services just in general, lower productivity, so you get lower growth, but it also just it soaks up a lot more jobs in the manufacturing sector. So we could, where this would be beneficial, this meaning like the shift to unemployment versus growth, would be if the leadership says, okay, we trust this new number. It's basically showing us that we're still at full employment, even though growth is slowing. So, yeah, we might shave off a percentage point of growth here or there. Um, but we're not going to step on the gas until we see that unemployment figure start to rise. So, th- meaning, I agree with you, like, in a true downturn, they probably would still step on the gas. It's really for more of that kind of gentle climb down that it would be kind of useful. Right. Well, I mean, there's a question as well about whether the government is has cause to start worrying about, about economic headwinds more broadly. Um, I mean, China had a very nice run along with a lot of other economies, but 2017 was particularly good for China. Um, but we had some interesting moves in the policy moves as well. Um, the, all this great data came out. GDP, 6.8%, just like last quarter, looking good. Um, housing investment shot up. I mean, there wasn't a lot to worry about, but I mean, there, w- there was this interesting move where they cut the bank reserve requirements um, and also threw a bunch of money into the, the, the system, um, the, the short-term money supply. And which seems slightly suggestive of a little bit of anxiety. I mean, for you, looking at the Chinese economy and going forward, I mean, what are you worried about? Well, let me let me give you my take, and then I'm curious for yours as well. Um, mm. I, so you're right. I mean, we got these strong numbers, and then they do this reserve cut. And, and this is just for, for people who aren't familiar. Like, this is freeing up cash that banks have locked up in reserve as a percentage of their deposit liabilities. Right. Um, they cut it by a basis point. But anyways, it's, it's a lot of countries have this for their banks. China's rate is really high. It's like 17%. So there's a lot of cash locked up in there, as you're yeah. saying. Yeah. So go ahead, Chris. So, so they did this move, which is essentially an easy move. And the way it was framed both by the government and I think even a lot of investment bank analysts, to be honest, was, oh, this is kind of just clearing out the plumbing. You know, we're still deleveraging... We just need to make sure that the money is getting to the right, you know, we don't want smaller banks to just suddenly go kaput. Right. Um, and I guess that makes Which a they were at risk of because they were squeezed, getting squeezed out of 
push to bring bad debt on balance sheets and they're going to. Right. Right. They they didn't get to play in shadow banking anymore, which is where a lot of the smaller guys made all their money. Exactly. So so you did. I mean, it was addressing a real problem, but at the same time, an easing is an easing, no matter kind of how you slice and dice it. Like you're just you're injecting more money into the economy. Um, And I guess even more worryingly is now we've got a lot of talk about, oh, there might be more easing coming. So it's almost like this disconnect when you look at the numbers, which are pretty strong, and then you talk to folks who are plugged into the system, and it's, oh, you know, we gotta we got to worry about this trade war. Um, and so we get which ease. they do, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, like, like we, we, we went over a little hump there, but I mean, there's no reason, there's no the reason, there's no reason. Well, I mean, like, the, 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 there was a sign of a brief warming, but I mean, fundamentally, things seem to be on a collision course. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we're going <laughs> to. We're going to see what happens. I mean, obviously, you know, the big worry of the people I'm talking about is is that real estate will finally correct. And that's been the one thing. Last time real estate had a systemic slowdown in China, you know, 2014, 2013, like things, Hmm. every every wheel started falling off. And, you know, you've been covering the real estate developers. They have not been reducing their exposure to the market, Um, you know. And if that cools off, then everything else does as well. And, you know, certainly... You know, the trade war is worrying people as well. The stock market is not happy about it at all. Um, so it could be that they're just kind of uh, adding a bit of cash. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, deleveraging, it is not exactly. I mean, I do give them the break, though. They they do need to clean up the balance sheets. There is a lot of cash in the system. Um, and, you know, you need economic reform. But but even so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, listen, thanks for talking to me, Chris. And that's our show for this week. I'd like to thank Robin Mock and Chris for joining us. Kudos also to our producers, Sharon Lamb, Freddie Joyner, Ben Kellerman, and Andrew D'Antonio. And our final thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Subscribe to the Views Room on iTunes or whatever podcast software you use. Please do share your opinions about our show and join us again next week for another edition. Thanks again.